Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. All-Star Game selections are out, and mm. the most important guy made the All-Star Game. Corey Dickerson. Zach Cozart. What? <laughs> Zach Cozart isn't the most important. <laughs> I don't he's know. He's getting a donkey from your man. I know he's getting a donkey. That's from uh, from Joey Votto. You're absolutely right. What do you think about all the... the f- I, I feel just gut-checked that there's a lot of first appearance guys this year. The, yeah. Yeah, it, this is it feels like a bifurcation point kind of year with Aaron Judge and (laughs) Corey Dickerson. (laughs) I feel like we're not looking at a lot of perennial all-stars. I mean, like, I guess Buster Posey and Salvador Perez make sense at catcher because, (laughs) like, who else is going to go unless John with Jonathan LaCroix totally falling off? But then, I mean, you got Bryce Harper, you got Mike Trout saying that he's not even going to go. Of course, we're talking about the hitting, hitting side right now. Who else? I mean, who else are we looking at for perennial guys? I mean, is mm, I guess Jose Altuve is, is reaching perennial status. Yeah, Nolan Arenado, that's a good one. The pitchers a little bit more so, I think. You know, the the pitchers read a little bit more like a laundry list of guys you would expect. Yeah, and then you have all these middle relievers who were the only ones who talk about the fantasy side. Well, really enjoyable, really enjoyable that uh, Andrew Miller gets picked over Cody Allen. <laughs> Poor guy. Not a, not a good sign for Cody Allen. No, not a good sign for you. Robbie Ray. <laughs> he's hey, in there too. He's he's uh he's still throwing those K's. Seamart's in there. You gotta feel good about that. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, one thing that we haven't quite talked about enough, I think, is is word usage. You know, you and I sometimes we consider ourselves to be something of amateur wordsmiths here. And the other day I dropped the the line about or I dropped a line about brandishing a sword discussing Game of Thrones, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the person I was talking to just looked at me and said, Who uses that word? And then I realized, oh, I am totally steeped in the fantasy literature word usage. Yes. And so I I I I'm curious to know what you think, but I did a Google Ngram plot here of brandishing versus the next most common thing I could think of, which was wielding. It's like a two to one usage. Brandishing is less popular. <laughs> than... Apparently. I, this is sort of interesting. Of course, both of these make me think of not a sword, but a wand. I know. That was the other thing. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's um, JK uses, uses brandishing. I mean, I was try- I was really trying to put my finger on where yeah, that's why I'm thinking of where it. this had come from and it's definitively from something fantasy <laughs> related. Maybe it is. Maybe it's JRR. Maybe he uses brandishing the sword. Cuz looking at this graph that would be about the right time. I have to say I think I think he does. I have to say I'm a little bit 
I'm a little worried now about what else in my vocabulary could be shaped by the fantasy novels that I've read. So I noticed, and I wouldn't have noticed this if it hadn't been for our college experience, but the word used in Wheel of Time that's anomalous, alacrity. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's in every single book at least twice. And I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't probably have noticed it if it wasn't another weird weird word yeah if another you know past life stephen king uses a word a lot in his in his books and movies obtuse and now i've been i've been taking to saying it as well yeah i'm so i'm worried i don't know i don't know what else is shaped now that my eyes have been opened i think i'm gonna keep an eye out for uh for what else could have what else i need to rethink how i use it Oh, I mean, I think that you just need to go deeper. You just need to see these oddities and go use it, use it more. Oh, I like it. You're saying that I'm going the wrong way. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, oh no, don't don't try to modernize. Thanks, thanks for your nerd support, but yeah, and I, and I really think me punching this into Google Ngrams actually took it one level further in the nerd level, but uh, it's fine. It's all good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. This week. Eric is going to visit another thing that we talked about in the past, stolen bases. And this is an interesting wrinkle in that I talked about stolen bases last time. So now Eric is just cleaning up everything I said and telling me where I was wrong. And then right <laughs> after that, <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, a new tool that I developed this past week that I think is going to open um, up some, some real possibilities, which is being able to scrape game logs and plate appearances from the internet take it away eric all right so in podcast 1.03 mike did discuss stolen bases and optimizing stolen bases so we started with a couple of notes that i thought were sort of interesting and i thought number one it would be interesting to see if anything is different because i think every year you start getting into the season and then assumptions just fall apart or they look like they're falling apart and then by the end of the season they they become true so mike some of the things that that you had pointed out number one was you talked about this idea of stolen bases and specialists you kind of need specialists if you're going to win this category and you said preseason for 2016 only a quarter of the top 300 stole more than 10 bases do you think that's the same this year? Let's see. So the analogous thing would be a quarter have stolen more than five. I think it's probably even more stratified this year. And it is because only um, only 20% have stolen more than, of the top 300 have stolen more than 10 bases. So that means, that means one in five. Huh. That is uh yeah so you, you definitely need those specialists <laughs> yeah absolutely um and then you said one of the other pieces that you that you spoke about was that the league average success rate is about 70 percent and i was really curious about this one because i was like this that's got to have changed it went up a tick 72 percent. 72 oh really <laughs> that's interesting that's what a gut check i really thought it had gone down okay yeah, sort of, sort of amazing. So what I decided to do, uh, apart from just kind of looking at some of Mike's preseason pieces, which it's 
basically, I mean, 72% to 70%, we're not talking about anything, any huge change in a, in a quarter to a fifth. I'm sure that we have enough time for that to, that number to, to, um, to round up essentially. So really what, what's, what's great is that we're seeing even partway through the season, we're seeing the numbers in line with some of those preseason predictions. Now, what I wanted to do was look at stolen bases. This was going to be a gut check for something that I wanted to do was looking at um, the preseason forecasts against the current on pace um, statistics. So that's to say that we're roughly 51, 50.5% of the way through the season. So forecasting out the the remainder of the season for everyone's players production and seeing the major discrepancies between the player the preseason consensus rank uh preseason consensus projections and those on pace statistics all right so one of the big things that i wanted to look at was here we go do a little sorting so preseason we I, I was looking at fantasy pros preseason because mm-hmm. that's like what I collected <laughs> yeah. before oh, the season. Yeah. That's what's still still available. We had I just want to kind of name some of the top ten guys and see if any of these stick out to you. These are the preseason projections, top ten in stolen bases. Billy Hamilton, mm-hmm. D. Gordon, mm-hmm. Jonathan VR, Trey Turner, Gerard Dyson, Keon Broxton, Jose Altuve. Jose Peraza, Eduardo Nunez, and Rajay Davis. The, none of those names sound totally crazy right now. I still could talk myself into projecting those guys. I mean, Rajay Davis, okay. And um, I'm not entirely sure what's going on with Altuve. And the, the Turner thing, you know, everybody makes a lot of sense there. Poor VR. What is going on with him? <laughs> So that's, okay, so I wanted to talk about these 10 guys specifically to start with. You know that Rajay Davis preseason was only projected for 28 stolen bases? Really? That number 10 was only projected for 28 stolen bases, and he's eight below that pace. Just, (laughs) wow. That's a, talk about baking in regression. Oh, yeah. No, these numbers are pretty low. How many did they have Billy Hamilton for? 61 and he is right now on pace for four extra so they're okay i think they're pretty close um at one point i believe he was up over 90 Mm -hmm. on pace for over 90 but yeah he typical midsummer injury um d gordon they had for 50 he's on pace for 57 and then as you mentioned the big one jonathan vr was projected for 50 do you know what he's on pace for right now? Twelve. Mm, Thirty. Oh, <laughs> it's not quite as dire as I thought. But I mean, that's not quite as dire. But it feels that way because he's not producing nearly as much. I mean, that must as be we had expected. That must be if you look at just raw numbers, like raw difference. If you just subtracted the projection from the on pace, he must be the by far and away the largest discrepancy. That is, that is absolutely correct. So. I did want to talk about the ones, the guys who are um, have the biggest differential in the negative. So the next guy is Charlie Blackman. Again, mm-hmm. not stealing as many bases. I mean, why does he even have to with Mark Reynolds knocking him in every single day? 
<laughs> sure. You just have a crush on Mark Reynolds. I understand. Okay, but the t- there are two guys in in this top ten. Um, let's uh, not regression candidates. I don't know what I'd call this. Biggest differentials. Two guys near and dear to our hearts, and near and dear to the bet boxes hearts, who are in this top ten. Oh, not Gene Segura. Poor Gene Segura. Why is he in this list? He is on pace for 16. He was projected for 27. He was hurt, man. He's been hurt. He's been out. That is true. That is true. He has the largest differential on um, at bats. With He's going to miss 152. So that's actually not that bad. Um, I put a little linear regression equation together, and that's that's about on, on target with what he should be. I don't know if that's going to make it. Who's the other guy? Who's the other side of that bet every year? It can't be Alcides Escobar. On pace for four. What do they project him as? He was supposed to have 16. He's, I mean, that dude, it's so interesting because he, he has so many plate appearances too. <laughs> I heard someone say, as goes Alcides Escobar, so goes the Royals. And that is <laughs> astoundingly true. What a line. No, that, that is really true. But yeah, he's on pace for 620 at-bats. Yeah, I know. Only four stolen bases. That is that is Oof. not what you want your leadoff guy to be doing. But, you know, you said that about the Astros. You know who else is on this top top 10 um, differential Springer. list? George Springer. Yeah. yeah. Also on pace for zero. So oh, he's on pace for zero. What the heck is going on with the Astros? I don't know. Okay, you want to hear some of the guys the other direction? Is it going to be depressing? Well... It, Number two is depressing. Trey Turner, who cannot realize this, but uh, he was on pace for 27 extra stolen bases. That was good. Who's number one? Right. (laughs) Cameron Maven. Oh, of course it is. Because those angels... Those angels are stealing bases at a crazy clip. Andrelton Simmons is also on the... uh, is in the top three. How how many at-bats... Do you realistically think Cameron Maven gets this season? Uh, we'll see how many he gets once Trout comes back. I think that you'll need an injury in that outfield for him to continue. Yeah, because right now this is saying that he's on pace for 484 at bats. That's a hundred more than he was supposed to. Get I also season. think of Cameron Maven as being a serious injury risk. All right, so some of the other other guys who are have the high um, differential from the projections. Elvis Andrus coming in number four. He's on pace for 17 extra stolen bases. He might hit 40 this year. Uh, he might hit 40. He might steal 40. <laughs> Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Um, we weren't expecting hmm. this. We weren't expecting him to have the playing time. He's He's got nearly 300 extra at-bats from the prison projection. Holy cow. Delino Shields, who before this podcast you said, is he even the majors right now? Good question. Good question. <laughs> he's he's on pace for about 350 at bats, so we'll see. He's got the highest rate, so he's on pace huh. for actually 365 at bats, 72 stolen base pace. So that's one every 10 at bats. That's so crazy. All right, so rounding out, we got Tommy Pham, mm. one of our favorites, Taylor Motter, mm. Whit Merrifield, another one of our favorites, and. The man you did not keep, Yasiel Puig. I stand by my decision to not keep Puig. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a, a clubhouse cancer. <laughs> yeah, even on fantasy teams, even on teams where they shouldn't be, it shouldn't matter. He's somehow a clubhouse cancer. I think one of the reasons that I love talking about stolen bases is because, especially in the context of fantasy, is because these guys are still available. Like, you can still go and change your stolen base fortune. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime in the season. I mean, we were talking, we were, we just glanced at our league right before this, and DeShields is available. Merrifield was on the waiver wire for a really long time until you picked him up. Yep. I mean, I think Modder's available. Like, all of these guys. So many of these guys. You can go out and... Simmons has been on yeah, and off. Yeah, you can go out and change your fortune with without much difficulty at all. Um, and so, it's one of those categories that it took me a long time to appreciate your strategy, which was always win stolen bases. But now that I've decided to focus on that, it's made a big difference for me. All right. Well, this is... I hope that we sent a bunch of names your your way to start thinking about who you can't depend on, who you can depend on. Um, I think both of us would suggest, I'd suggest Simmons for a pickup, um, especially at middle infield if you need one. Um, if Chris Taylor is still available, go for him because he's going he's gonna to help you. Um, and I think that those at-bats are legitimate. Mm-hmm. With Merrifield, I, I'm interested to see how many stolen bases, if he gets up, up above 20, but... Um, that would be great if you can and then as we said don't depend on carlos correa and don't depend on george springer (laughs) yeah i know some of you were worried that eric and i had missed some star wars news but don't worry here's a little outtake featuring our take on the director change from last week just a little longer speaking of which smooth transition love it speaking of porkins Ron Howard taking over the reins of the Han Solo movie. Yeah, quick, just give me your hot take here. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? One of my favorite space movies was done by Ron Howard. He was the director of Apollo 13, correct? He was the director of Apollo 13. So Eric, I've finally done it. I made a plate appearance game log scraper. I'm excited to use this. I have to say, I feel pretty invincible with this. And I think we're armed to go forward with with several interesting data problems with this tool. Um, Thank you to Fangraphs, who um, I might actually have to sign up sometime now because I'm battering their servers (laughs) automatically. Yeah, I I feel the same (laughs) way. slamming their game logs. Uh, So what I've done is set up a scraper to go through. Fangraphs actually has a good layout of the plate appearances and the results of plate appearances. Mm. Um, and I've come up with a way to scrape that from um, from the overall team schedules. So I started this because I was just looking at, I was trying to look at matchups between different teams. I was trying to come up with a, a rough model to that's something akin to 538's matchup analysis, who's going to win games. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, I can actually take it one step further and get to plate appearances. Here's the first application that I was putting together as I looked at the um, the schedules, which is calculating run differential. How do you feel about run differential in general? I don't know enough about it to have, have a real opinion, but we're supposed to be using run dif- differential more, correct? It's It's more robust. Right. So run differential very simply is you sum up all of the runs that one team has scored over the course of the season and you sum up all of the runs that have been scored against them and you take the difference and that's your run differential. If it tends to correlate better with 
the team's quality than record actually does. So in the in a sense that run differential should be a better predictor of how a team is actually doing and how they'll do going forward. Right, and I've never actually read anything about how whether that's true or not because I know that there are other kind of ways to figure out the quality of a team. Like the Twins last year were super unlucky. For sure. And the Twins the year before that, 2015 then, were super, Bad. super lucky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were super lucky that they that they got the win total that they did. And it like over the course of the two years, it like, boom, they hit their expected win total <laughs> no that's that's absolutely right and so some of that is what i'm what i'm hoping to do here and the you know case number one for game diff for run differential would be if you look at the cubs from last year they their run differential was light years ahead of everyone else's right care to guess who the team with the worst run differential is right now <laughs> uh padres that would be the padres by by a pretty hefty margin they're uh they're making a good you know, a good case for themselves. And so the, uh, the quick fantasy application here would be start everybody against the Padres, <laughs> like at all costs, yep. like yep. always start go. people against the Padres. A couple other takeaways uh, on the top end, Dodgers. Dodgers have the largest run differential, which is a number similar to the run differential that the Cubs had at the All-Star break last year. They're pretty good. And Cody Bellinger has been insane on the home runs. So well, it's the pit. Their pitching has been insane with Kershaw and then Alex Wood pitching like an absolute mm -hmm. ace, according to the FUBOR metric. Rich Hill being the weak link in the chain. I mean, you'd probably take <laughs> Rich Hill as your third starter on the Twins. Yeah, but it looks like I'm going to jump the gun here and I'm looking at your graph of the 2016 run differential. And while the Dodgers look to be in a similar place, it's also like they're closer to the pack, whereas mm -hmm. last year the Cubs were, that's I assume the Cubs, yeah. and they were way, way out in front compared to everyone else. No, that's absolutely right. There's there's less of a, a real standout in run differential this year. Teams that I'm worried about, the Rockies are ta have taken a huge nosedive lately. They've, they've gone from being in fourth place to being in eighth place now in run differential. Oof. T to the point where... I'm not sure that I can say that you shouldn't start people against the Rockies. Before, I was worried, we've talked a little bit about this before, starting guys against the Rockies on the road, even not at cores, has been a little iffy. But lately, starting to indicate that you might actually be willing to start guys against them. Well, 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 well. that's talking about getting getting wins that's not talking about era and whip like that's what's positive about the padres is that we know that the run <laughs> differential is down and their offense is atrocious but the rockies i mean they're losing games five to seven yeah that's true <laughs> i all right i will i will accept that you're not you're not wrong there i mean you can you can divide this out and try and figure out yeah maybe i should do some of that try and figure out what the baseline for uh the baseline for each team is we can do that very possible with this yeah with no this we scraper. should that's where i like to think about things getting going from being models to algorithms because mm. that's like you have a model for run differential you have a model for probably uh, projected runs and then you combine those and you get the algorithm that says which which teams should have um starts against which pitchers do you target when starts against yeah that's fair all right I think that's a, you just gave me a pretty good task. 
There we go. Podcast 120. <laughs> we will be hearing about this in full. So, other question. What's going on with the Orioles this year? They they are having just a very bad run differential. They're down at minus 74, which is good for being in the bottom five in the Whoa. league. They're worse than the Twins. Worse run differential than the Twins right now. Yeah. So, what's Oof. what is going on with them? Why can they not get their act together? I don't think that their offense is as potent this year and their pitchers when their pitchers are <laughs> when their pitchers are off, which is most of the time, they're stinky. <laughs> what a what a scientific phrase. They are they're stinky. You're right. You're not wrong. Sometimes sometimes you don't even need science for the sniff test. You're <laughs> you make a great point. Uh Moving on a little bit, there's I added a twist to this, actually, which was getting to the application that I was more interested in, which is looking at the run differential only when starters are in the game. So this is, again, like you go. reminded me earlier, and we're careful to make sure that I was not overstepping the bounds of this model. In terms of calculating wins, the or predicting wins, the idea is that this will give us better matchup analysis. If you just look at the run support, that starters are getting versus the number that they're giving up. Here we go. Test case. I left these lines unlabeled for you. Test case, American League Central. I need to know, you have just, you know, league average pitcher going out against American League Central team. Who from most likely to start your pitcher to least likely to start start your pitcher? How would you rate the five teams? American League Central. Okay, I would go White Sox number one, mm. clearly. And it, in the end, we're talking about ERA and WHIP here. ERA, yeah. WHIP, and yep. wins, right? So I would say I'd go Royals, Tigers, Twins, Indians. I think that's... <sighs> That's exactly, that's mostly where I would go. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. You have, you switched. I said Royals, Tigers, Twins, Indians. Oh, okay. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say I would do the Tigers. I would start against the Tigers before I would start against the Twins. But then there's a huge chasm between the Twins and the Indians, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's pretty clear. White Sox, I'd start against. Indians, mm, no. <laughs> But here's here's actually what's really interesting is that if you do this, uh, if you actually run this out just by the starters, it's it's kind of unexpected. So the Uh-oh. for a long time, like, and I did this over over time, the the top line here was the Tigers. The Tigers were giving their starters the most run support. Well, up and, Justin, up until, Justin Upton. Uh, that's exactly right. Upton until? <laughs> up until very recently. Recently, the okay. Indians have finally managed to get their act okay. together, and they are the leading team. And then, like we talked about, like the, the other three, White Sox, Royals, Twins, are pretty much all interchangeable for getting wins um, in terms of they're pretty negative. <laughs> and they have really? they've so... been pretty negative all season. So I would say that the Tigers are probably coming back to earth. I would, um, I would now be more confident starting against the Tigers than I would have been earlier in the season based on this analysis, and I would actually be more worried to start against the Indians than I was earlier in the season. 
So who was last? Who's that green line? The the lowest right now is the White Sox. So oh, okay, so it's okay. it's White Sox Royals. This analysis would say it's White Sox Royals, Twins, Tigers, Indians. So it's it's ah. just the Twins and the Tigers that you swap in there. Right, but I had thought that they were closer. I would have said that it was White Sox and then aways and then royals and then aways and it would have been twins tigers and then aways and then indians so this is interesting yeah. so i was i was pretty i'm pretty intrigued by this i'm curious to see if these these trend lines hold and there might be something here about trying to figure out where run differential stabilizes the final goal here of course as i mentioned at the at the top is to make a full matchup analyzer um, the reason that i started all of this was cuz i really want to know when should i be starting pitchers as i'm staring down the end of the season where matchups are really going to start to matter here in every earned run and every walk and hit over all the innings pitched really counts really want to know can i in confidence start certain pitchers um, and again, I just remind everybody, this tool is totally out there on GitHub and you don't need any special access um, to be able to run this. You can just grab the notebook and do scraping to your heart's content. All right, my friend, you want to wrap this sucker up? Sure. We talked last week about the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter. And right after we talked about that, I think probably because they, they listened to us and we alerted them to this, the ringer did an analysis of how they would rate 20 books and movies and the scripts, all of the things that they, um, that you can grab from the Harry Potter universe. And the ultimate winner here, Goblet of Fire, the book version. Goblet of Fire, book. Yes. I quite frankly remember being in junior high school and there being the, there being the point when everybody read it yes everybody had it and it was there was a like there was a six month lag i think it was either like right before or right after christmas the following year because i i got it i read it on the way to a track meet and back and then in bed and then in bed and it was the first i think it was the first book that i stayed up all night to try mm. to read yeah and it was like three in the morning and i was reading the uh the graveyard scene and freaking myself out i you know i i have a very similar set of memories and so seeing this on here feels very validating because in part i was wondering you know was it just because the harry potter had reached a fever pitch at that point like it that was the first time that it really saturated the market and so was it just like a a, a set of circumstances that made me think that this was the best but no I, it's a really good book it was a really good book and it was the right length i've recently been going through uh the song of fire and ice mm, yeah. and those books just get too way too big and this was the book before the book that got too big that's right right that's right because the order of the phoenix was the one was the broken binding book and <laughs> goblet of fire was just a little bit longer that's right though my favorite book is unfortunately at number seven here prisoner of azkaban you know, it's it's funny because if you if you read part of their analysis, they make a, they make the very valid point that I'd never thought about. Voldemort's not in Prisoner of Azkaban. Right. It's so exactly. interesting. I never like I read that line and I was just like pff, mind blown. Like hadn't ever considered that before. Yeah, not in it at all. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the review session. Okay.
as we try to go through some of these trendy foods, uh, mixing them in with our random rants about berries. Please tell me that's not how you order it. <laughs> like you're like, I would like the poke. <laughs> poke, poke, poke. Michael, when did when were you first introduced to poke and what are your feelings? This is not gonna this is not gonna help my uh my <laughs> trying to beat down the trendiness cred here, but uh I first read about it in uh, Bon Appetit, like maybe up oh, yep, maybe a couple go. years ago. I mean Bon Appetit is one of my favorite airplane reads. Like I will I love <laughs> to get one like well, before I'm hopping on an airplane. I don't know why. It's something about it. It's been it's been a trend for years and like I opened it and I was like, what is what is this thing? And then suddenly, boom, everywhere. Then you noticed. Then it, I right? really, yeah. After after this first introduction, my eyes were suddenly opened, and I was like, "Poke is everywhere." Yeah. And then, what are your feelings towards it? Poke is interesting because it, it's sort of like the type of thing that I would that I cook for myself when I'm just hanging out in in concept, in the sense that like, oh, I have all these ingredients, and I don't really feel like trying to cook them all together to make a meal. I'm just going to throw them all in a bowl and mix it up and see what happens. Right, but the raw fish part. I love raw fish. Topping it I with love some, raw fish. Topping it with you would have raw fish and just you you'd make your own raw fish. Put it on the top of poke. Whoa! I love raw Look fish. Look at this guy, daring. All right, of course, poke. If for all those listeners out there who do not know what it is, it is a basically a rice bowl and with a bunch of, as Mike said, junk, and then topped with a hefty amount of raw yeah, fish. It's like a weirdo deconstructed sushi. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it's essentially a Hawaiian thing. Yeah. It was really started in Hawaii and has kind of spread to logical points west to east from there. Uh, I first, so my story of first being introduced to it was in Hawaii. Mm. Um, the lady ordered it and then when she got it, she said, I can't eat this. <laughs> And it's like, okay, well, we will switch. You will take the whatever pork tacos that I had had, and I will, I will fight through this. And I was, I just saw it, and it was a giant, giant bowl covered in like, you know, so much raw fish. It's like, oof, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I started eating. I was like, I don't really. This, this is really. I really got messed up. Next day, next morning, I was like, you know what? I could have a little bit more Ooh. of that. Ooh. <laughs> it's one, honestly, it's uh, one of those dishes where the farther the farther that you are from having the last one, the more you're like, you know what? That sounds like a kind of sounds tasty. Sushi's that way for oh, me in yeah, general. Absolutely. Uh oh, we're uh, we're bordering on agreement here. Well, we've been disagreeing for a little while, so I think it's I think it's okay if we agree on this topic. Yeah, it's one of the trendy ones that I I can kind of get behind, but like. How many places can actually do it? Oh, not many. I mean, I'm not even sure that I would trust it in Massachusetts. I mean, as soon as I see walleye talk, walleye, walleye poke <laughs> at Target Field, you're out. <laughs> nope not not doing it. Not gonna do it. I can I can just bite off a, an old ther- timey thermometer and get the mercury another way. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair point. All right. Well. On that bombshell, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. 
Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah!